Hello and welcome to another edition of the Checkdown Charlie's Football Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined by the host with the most, Mr. Theo Grontis. What is going on, Theo? Sorry, I just paused briefly because I don't know. <laughs> no one knows what's going on. <laughs> it is Friday night in Eric's mom's basement, mm-hmm. and we are recording another installment of this podcast. Yes. Sort of got lost track of time, you know, reuniting with an old friend. We haven't uh, seen each other in person for a couple of years, so mm-hmm. it's always nice. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Always good to be doing this in person. Good to see you. And uh, good for the listeners now that we're doing our podcast uh, in person as well, I would say. Mm-hmm. I notice we're taking a lot less pause breaks and redos. You obviously can't hear them because we edit them, edit the fuck out of these episodes. <laughs> but normally there's like 50 pause breaks. At least. Oh, yeah. You got to get the perfect take. Otherwise, you know, what's the point, right? So we do what we can for our, our lovely listeners and uh, we'll continue to bring you high quality content. So where were we last, Eric? So our last episode in terms of the Dolphins timeline was 1975, where the Dolphins ended up tied with the Baltimore Colts, but missed out on the playoffs. And we're just in the period where they're adjusting kind of post Zonka, Warfield, and Kick. So this episode is going to cover the 1976 season, which started promisingly for the Dolphins. They added linebacker Larry Gordon and defensive end Kimbo Camper in the draft, bolstering an already formidable defense. Tight end Lord McCreary and wide receiver Daryl Harris were added on offense. Bob Greasy recovered from his toe injury to become the starter again, and Bill Arnsparger was back as defensive coordinator after an ill-fated stint as the head coach of the New York Giants. Miami would go 6-0 in the preseason, but little did they know that this would match their regular season win total. After completing the annual tradition of beating the Bills in Week 1, Steve Grogan and the New England Patriots stunned the Dolphins for an upset victory in Week 2. They blanked the Jets in Week 3 with Benny Malone serving as a featured back. In week four, their defensive fragility started the show. They lost a shootout to James Harris and the LA Rams, giving up 436 passing yards and 31 points in the process. Next up was a loss to the Baltimore Colts, in which Morrill once again had to come in for Greasy. 1976 would be the last season of Earl's 20-year NFL career. Earl Morrill goes down as one of the most selfless players in Dolphins history. We mentioned earlier that there was some tension between Morrill and Joe Namath, but years later, Morrill reflected on the situation between the two quarterbacks. At the 30th anniversary of Super Bowl III, Morrill gave kudos to Namath. Quote, He played one whale of a game. You have to give him that. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. You look back, you remember, and you go through the what-ifs. Then you snap out of it and keep living. Morrill also had this to say years later about being benched in 72 for Bob Greasy. Quote, I didn't like it, but it wasn't about me. I was an individual on a team, and although I was an unhappy individual for a little bit, other things took precedence. The good of the team and getting myself ready in case I was needed again was more important. This is like exactly what you want from your backup quarterback Mm -hmm. from a culture perspective. Yeah. I guess uh, Shula knew exactly the type of character he was before bringing him to Miami. Yeah, exactly. And it does go back to kind of the old school, old school values in a way of like being there for the team and you are just one part of the whole operation. And in order for it to go smoothly, like everybody needs to do their job. Like that's the Patriots slogan, right? Do your job, right? 
it's interesting that whatever individual accomplishments he may have had, it was always about the team and doing what's best for the team. I'd like to think that in modern times, even though he was slightly older, he probably after the 72 season could have gotten a starting job as a placeholder for some other team, Mm -hmm. but decided to like stay on the Dolphins in a comfortable situation. Well, he was also quite old at the time. Even then, like, look at someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he was a placeholder before Tua, and he wanted to go a couple more years. Mm-hmm. It's just a different mentality, right? Like, it's more of a personal brand awareness in the modern game, whereas, like, he's coming from the mentality where it's like, it's just all about the team, and it's all about winning. So after his playing career was over, Morrill became the quarterback's coach at the University of Miami from 1979 to 1983 where he mentored future stars like Vinny Testaverde, Jim Kelly, and Bernie Kosar. Morrill was also elected mayor of Davie, Florida in 1989, and he passed away in 2014 at age 79. And this is what Shula had to say on Earl Morrill. Quote, He was just a great influence on our football team. They all realized that Greasy was our starting QB and the QB of the future, but they all knew Earl was capable of being a great backup, and he proved that to everybody. Bob Greasy later told the Miami Herald, there wouldn't have been any 17-0, and there wouldn't have been any Super Bowl if it weren't for Earl Morrill. Week 6 was a matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. Despite a close contest, the Chiefs would be the eventual victors in overtime. Kansas City had revenge for their Christmas Day overtime loss in 71. The Dolphins were suddenly sitting at a paltry 2-4. and four. NFL narrator John Vicenda put it best when he said, quote, For perhaps the first time all season, the realization was beginning to sink in. For so many reasons, the glory years were going to be harder than ever to recapture. Trying as we might to avoid the cliche, it's impossible to mention 76 without bringing up injuries. By week 7, 8 players had already been lost for the season due to knee injuries that required surgery. I'd like to point out that besides injuries, this is a rotating cast. Mm -hmm. It's not even that people are injured, it's people that are there to replace them aren't not necessarily as good as the previous generation. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there's no guarantee that they're going to bring the same quality, right? That kind of year-over-year turnover is part of the brutality of the game, but it's also what makes things interesting is that health and injuries do play a major part in any team's success. Like think about the LA Rams, for example, this year that were Super Bowl champions and expected by many this season to be an amazing squad or not amazing, but at least compete and be in the playoff push. But they just finished off being one of the worst uh, Super Bowl or having one of the worst Super Bowl defenses in the history of the NFL. And part of that is due to injuries all over the place. The Dolphins lost linebackers Mike Cullen, Ernie Roan, and first-rounder Kimbo Camper in the preseason. Then they lost linebacker Andy Selfridge in the season opener. Defensive back Tim Foley missed 12 games due to his own knee surgery. Manny Fernandez missed the entire season. Star wide receiver Nat Moore broke his leg in the second game of the season. Veteran wide receiver Howard Twilley also needed knee surgery. Another thing to mention there is that not only did they lose players, but they lost players at similar positions. Mm-hmm. Multiple front seven players, two wide receivers. Yep. And that sort of kills a team more than just injuries all across the board. Mm-hmm. Like if you talk to coaches 
I've heard this in multiple podcasts repeated where it's like, if you take a coach in an honest moment, they would rather have injuries across the board, like in terms of positions, than let's say all four of your corners are down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's so much harder to get back from that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agreed. I mean, injuries are not great at the best of times, but in this situation, when it rains, it pours, right? Dick Anderson returned from his own injuries, but Jake Scott had been traded away. All in all, 22 players missed a combined 144 games for Miami on the year. Nick Buonaconti played his last down for the Dolphins in 76. A bright spot for the team was second-year linebacker Steve Toll. Once again, led the league in tackles with 217. For reference, the NFL leader in tackles in 2021 was Foye Aluokan with 192. Wide receiver Duriel Harris filled in for Nat Moore and also led the league in kickoff return yards in 76. What do you think that these statistics tell us about the team's defense and offense? Like, if your linebacker leads the team in tackles, in a lot of cases, it means that your defense is on the field more than any other defense. And if your star wide receiver also leads the league in kickoff return yards, it means that he probably has more opportunities to return kicks, and therefore you're getting scored on. Yeah, so yeah, there's like these hidden negative points about all these stats, right? Like, right. Aluakon last year played for the Falcons, right? Correct? Mm-hmm. And they didn't necessarily have the best defensive output. No, no, exactly. Aluakon led the league in tackles again this year in 2022 with 171. Uh, but generally speaking, the Jaguars and Falcons are not the examples of the most, you know, stalwart defenses in the league, that's for sure. The Dolphins battled and split their remaining games, finishing the season 6-8. and eight. This was Shula's first losing season, one of only two in his 33-year coaching career. John Facenda said, Don Shula won't wait for an orthopedist to cure the problem. Longtime stalwart Bill Stanfield also retired in 1976. According to Armando Salguero, a tape study of the 1972 season showed that he had 18.5 sacks on the season, but this was before sacks were counted as an official statistic. Stanfield said this after his retirement. Quote, I had a bunch of sacks in 1972, but that was a different time. I can still walk down the street in Miami Lakes or Miami Springs and nobody would recognize me. We didn't have guys marketing themselves. We didn't have publicity agents. We were 11 talented individuals who worked together as one. We really were no-names. I'm perfectly fine with that. Thanks for listening to the Checkdown Charlie's podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Don't forget to follow us at CheckDCharlie's on Twitter and at CheckdownCharlie's on Instagram. Like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms, and don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.